Thank you so much. Good morning. Memorial Day weekend. It's an opportunity to get a bit reflective and to think back. If you love Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've got an opportunity here. For you see, just as we have the opportunity to think about those who have laid down their lives for our national freedom, it allows us to segue into the one who laid down his life for our eternal freedom. And so when you find yourself perhaps in family gatherings or hanging out with friends over the course of these days, and there's a spiritual inclination to consider things that matter most, you now have a bridge. You now have an opportunity to be able to lead towards the one who, in that ultimate battle of humanity, laid down his life sacrificially, and as victor three days later raised from the dead, you have the opportunity then to be able to move from the fact that many died to the fact that one died, from national freedom to eternal freedom, segue to Jesus. And so with that in mind, I'd like you to turn with me in the Older Testament to Psalm, Psalm 46, because what this psalm was to the Israelites in that time period was in many ways a memorial song. It allowed them to look back at a time when their nation was under threat. The Assyrians, people to the north, had descended upon Israel, had encircled the city of Jerusalem. The water supply was being cut off. And this psalm, the psalm of the battlefield, as it's been dubbed through the course of the years, has been used to minister to hearts as they look back upon the battles of life, the skirmishes, the threats, and so on, and see God's protective hand in the midst of it all. It will force them to look back upon what God had done at the Red Sea. It would force them to consider what God had done through David regarding the Philistines. It would challenge them to think about Hezekiah in relationship to the Assyrians encircling Jerusalem. And now this psalmist has a way of creating a memory, a Memorial Day, so to speak, musically, to force people to think back and to see how the God of the past is the God of the present and is involved in our needs at this very moment. Psalm 46, you're going to notice the inscription. It's significant. To the choir master of the sons of Korah. We'll talk about that in a minute. According to the Alamoth, that's a stringed instrument, a song. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, and though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. For musicians, that is a pause, a rest in the midst of a measure. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of Gad, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. 
The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. See it again. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord. How he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Each Selah forces you to pause and think. Three stanzas, three Selahs, getting us to think about the God who provides, the God who protects the God who preserves his people. Let's look to our Lord in prayer. Minister to the heart, Father, of the one who's heavy today. Maybe they see family gatherings developing elsewhere and there's a sense of isolation or loss. Minister to the hard father, the one today who perhaps they look back at previous battles and wars, is experiencing the loss of someone who was close. Father, no matter what the issues are, we have a living God. The God of the past, the God of the future, is the God of the present. And no matter what our past and no matter what we face in the future, we can encounter the living God in the present. Which is what we want to do in the study of your word at this time. Father, as we think back upon those that have laid down their lives for our national freedom, it stirs us at the same time to think of the one who laid down his life for our eternal freedom. And the liberty that we have ministers to our needs in the present and creates a future of everlasting hope in Jesus and him alone. This is what sustains us. So, Father, in these minutes, as we reflect upon your word, warm these hearts and engage these minds shape these wills. Again, Father, we've come here to see Jesus and, and him only. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. They're, they're large, these crowds. They're estimated at 250,000 that have converged that have come across and settled down upon Arlington National Cemetery this week. 
a very powerful, powerful ceremony began to take place on Thursday. The ceremony is known as Flags In. Over four hours on Thursday, beginning at 4 p.m., more than a thousand U.S. Army Old God soldiers placed a small American flag at more than 228,000 graves, saluting each one as they went by. It's a tradition that is steeped. Our heritage is rich. The logistics detailed. The overseer of the ceremony says, quote, it takes about four months prior to plan the execution of what we call Flags in Day. And that planning is sectioned off in all of Arlington National Cemetery, then assigning all of our companies and our two battalions to specific areas within the Arlington National Cemetery. And it literally takes an army to do this job. He goes on to say, every available soldier in the 3rd U.S. Infantry Regiment takes part. They place the flag, they salute, and they move on to the next. And it takes about four hours to be able to achieve this goal. And they place a flag about 16 times. A flag is placed at least 16 times a minute until nearly 250 flags are, are flapping in the breeze every 15 minutes. And then the same ceremony will take place this Tuesday, same manner in which the flags then are removed. This powerful ceremony, steeped in American tradition, takes you and me now to another powerful ceremony steeped in Jewish tradition. The musical composition we're now looking at in Psalm 46 was composed for people to look back over the prior wars, the prior threats, the prior challenges that they had faced. In particular, a time in which the Assyrian forces had encircled the city of Jerusalem and how God had preserved his people. The king then was his Hezekiah, who very possibly has penned this psalm, as well as 47 and 48. As you and I look at this psalm, what we want to do is to be able to draw out three significant aspects of God. One per stanza that help us to better understand not only how to look back and to honor those who have laid down their lives for our national freedom, just as the Jews would do, but at the same time to look beyond, consider that ultimate battle at the cross, the one who laid down his life for our eternal freedom. And while all the graves of Arlington are occupied, the grave of Jesus Christ is vacant. And this makes us pause and reflect. Three significant stanzas, three significant aspects of God. The first flows out of verse 1 down through verse 3, leading to a Selah, 
We'll put it like this, number one, that in troubling times, in troubling times, reflect upon first the nature of God. Notice that it starts with God. God. Not God's works. God. Not Israel's military. God. Not Israel's educational system. God. Now, what fascinates me is that in the original language, there is a word that seems to have escaped the English translation. It would literally read, God is to our refuge and strength. In other words, he is leaning into you and leaning into me. He is to or for us in three significant ways. God is our refuge, is that first word there. It carried with it the idea of shelter, a rock of refuge, but then furthermore speaks of him as the God who is to us our strength. Now the refuge encircles the person, but God's strength infuses the person. The idea is that God is simultaneously in your life working outwardly as well as inwardly, protecting you on the outside while insulating you on the inside. When you feel as though your output has exceeded your input, when it seems as though the pressures from without are simply greater than that was within, what you've got is a tremendous sense now of balance. God is to us our refuge and strength. This was very picturesque for the people as they would begin to sing this. The choir master, as you see the inscription here, would have the people stand up. And as they would sing, you will notice throughout the psalm how many times words like we, our, are used. And furthermore, they would be singing this, this song of the sons of Korah. Now, if you and I were to go back in our Bibles to Numbers chapter 16, we would find that the sons of Korah rebelled against God and God's leader at that time, Moses. They deserved to be wiped out according to God's holy justice, but God in his mercy not only preserved the line, but furthermore uses the line now to minister to others in the very present as they look back upon the God who is the great preserver, the God who is the great protector. Now, you and I have the same opportunity this Memorial Day weekend. When we're beginning to reflect upon all that has taken place to preserve our freedoms, you also simultaneously find that your mind, via this psalm, goes back to the way in which God has preserved your ultimate freedom in Jesus Christ and in him alone. Sons of Korah still being used by God, even though they rebelled against God? What that tells us is that God uses rebels who are saved by grace. And if there's a time in your life where you look back and you wince, and you recall the resistance to the will of God and the word of God, and you still want to be used by God, go no farther than the sons of Korah and consider how God is using them and has preserved them. And their words are ministering now to others who are considering the trials and the turmoils of life itself. There's mercy, there's grace in that phrase, the sons of Korah. 
The song was to be played according to an, a stringed instrument known as the Alamoth. You see that in the inscription as well. It was a high-pitched sound. And as the people would gather together and sing this, they begin not with the military and not with their education, not with their lives. They begin with God. So when you find yourself in turmoil, when you find yourself in trouble, when you find yourself facing the challenges of life, you start with God. This is your starting point here. And you notice the threefold descriptive. He's your refuge. He's your strength. The outward and the inward come together here. But now notice the next phrase, a very present help. The word very present in the original also carries with it the idea of well-proven. In other words, now, what they are singing to one another as they commemorate how they have been protected throughout the course of the years is that we have a present tense God who is well proven by the previous years in which he has protected us, guided us, and directed us. Now, on this Memorial Day weekend, you need to be able to discipline the mind and the heart to look back, not just live in the present without having any consideration for the past. It's a flags-in moment. And now you connect the dots between past and present and begin to seriously consider your well-proven God. He's proven faithful through the course of the years. Therefore, when you are facing the challenges of life in the present, you've got a God who is very present. The well-proven, very present one is here to help in trouble. You see the word trouble? You might want to circle it. It carries with it the idea of being in a tight place. The very same word imagery that was used to describe the Israelites at the time of the Red Sea experience, and as the Egyptians were converging, and the Israelites found that there was absolutely no direction which they could head. The sea before them, the mountains around them, and the Egyptians coming their way to take their lives all hemmed in, no place to go. When you can't look outward, you've got to look upward. And now as they sing these songs, and they're considering their own hemmed-in moments, and as you now are reflecting upon your own hemmed-in moments, maybe medically, maybe physically, maybe it's something else emotionally, but whatever, get to the spiritual core issue, the hour, and consider that this is a well-proven God. He's your very present help in trouble when you are in this tight place and trying to figure, how do I get out of this difficult situation I'm in? Now, once you and once I have begun to work this through, considered very carefully what God is doing here, look a little further. There is a therefore here. Always ask what's therefore, therefore. And here's the answer. There's a therefore we will not fear. Isn't it beautiful that he does not start with don't fear? He starts with God. Once you have framed your starting point in life, then you're able to move from there and begin to think clearly because we typically find when we are in turmoil, when we are troubled, when we are hemmed in, like a soldier in the midst of a battle in which he finds that the enemy has surrounded him. This is the word picture here. 
What we see at this point is that you draw conclusions based upon who God is. Therefore, you need a therefore in your life. You don't keep God in the abstract of verse 1 without a verse 2 and a verse 3. So now you take this God who is ever-present for you, and you create a therefore, what am I going to do with my understanding of who God is? And what he offers you are for those. Therefore, we will not fear. Why? Though the earth gives way. A second though. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. A third though. Though its waters roar and foam. A fourth though. Though the mountains tremble at its swelling. In other words, while everything else seems either irresistible or immovable, here is a God who is sovereign, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable, ever-present, proven himself in your life. He is your refuge. He is your strength. He is your very present help in trouble. You create the therefore, and now you've got four of those to work with as you consider the creation, and you realize he is the one who stands behind that creation. And if he can create something out of nothing, listen, if he can create something out of nothing, he can create something good out of something bad. If if he has the capacity to create something out of nothing, then he has the capacity to create something good out of something bad. And you hit the say la button. And you pause. And you reflect. And you ponder. And you look back. And you allow for the events of the past to be connected to God. And you allow the issues of the present to be connected to the past and connected to God. And you realize He's well proven. Have you sensed that faithfulness this weekend? Yotaguchi did. It was Hiroshima, August 6, 1945. On a Memorial Day weekend, we tend to think, for example, about America. But if you begin to think globally and how everybody is made in the image of God, then you begin to ask, and how does God take something bad and create something good? Yo was a 15-year-old and a student at a Christian school. But she deeply resented the teachings about Jesus because she viewed him and she viewed Christianity as simply an American religion. Sitting at her desk, school. Here's this incredible thunderous blast as the walls begin to fall down around her. And as the bombs fell... She spent the first night, her biographer tells us, in terror. The day brought no comfort. The morning, beautiful heart, revealed the horror of all that had happened, the sickening condition, the half-alive, the city in waste. Suffering, days of suffering followed. Radiation sickness, an incredibly terrible thing, writes the biographer. Yo was hemorrhaging internally. She believed that she was dying. 
when lo and behold, while lying in her bed, being treated, words of a psalm, a hymn, music that she had learned at school began to invade her thought process. What are the words? God is our refuge, our strength in trouble. She repeated to herself, in trouble, a very present help. The first verses of this very psalm. She began to think about Jesus and began to pray for the first time in her life in the name of Jesus. And the biographer goes on to tell us that a peace came over her instantaneously and the fear being addressed in these opening verses. Gone. She knew he had heard, he cared, and gradually, interestingly enough, she grew stronger as the hemorrhaging and the vomiting ceased. So convinced was she that God had become her refuge in the time of her trouble that she began to share her faith with her family and those in her circles who had witnessed her remarkable healing. And her older sister believed first, and then one by one others in her family, in the midst of something that had gone wrong, something beautiful was being made right as they came to trust in Jesus. And she herself went on to reach out to students through university ministries, leading others to saving faith in our Lord. We will not fear. Notice the we. They're singing it to one another. They're memorializing God's works with one another. Notice the those. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, and though the mountains tremble at swelling, what do you do with that? You hit the pause button. And you begin to think. And you begin and you start with the beginning of God. Infinite, eternal, unchangeable. And move from there. But he doesn't leave you there. He's now got a second stanza for you. And out of verse 4 down through verse 7, a second aspect of God becomes clear. That secondly, in times, in troubling times, reflect upon the presence of God. Now in verse 4, immediately as they get to this, after the pause and the measure of this musical composition, They pick it up again and sing about this river whose streams make glad the city of God. Now, what are they thinking about? What are they singing about at this point? If you and I were to read from 2 Kings chapters 18 and 19 on into chapter 20, verse 20, what you would find is that Hezekiah, realizing that the Assyrians were going to cut off the water supply for the Israelites within the city of Jerusalem, created a means by which, through an underground system, water would be transported right into this city. Unlike other ancient cities, for the most part, Jerusalem was not readily supplied with water. So what Hezekiah did was that he created, through an engineering feat, 
a strategy by which water would be brought into the city so that the people would be able to sustain themselves. Now, as the musicians are are leading them and singing this second stanza, the people now are forced once again to think about this all-faithful, all-powerful, all-good God, and likewise to you and likewise to I, as we think about the fact that if the God who can create something out of nothing is still working in the present. He can create something good out of something bad, can he? And now you look at all the bads of life, and you ponder about how he's connecting it to the goods, present and still to come, and how God wants to use you in the midst of all this to connect dots for other people who just can't quite see how all these troubles just seem so random and chaotic. But you see, there's this stream that's flowing here, and the people are pondering, they're thinking, they've got selahs that have lodged itself into their souls. There is a river whose streams may glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. But now notice the next phrase. God is in the midst of her. Did you notice that? That deals with the presence of God. Though the Assyrians were camped around Jerusalem, here is God in the midst of Jerusalem. Now, likewise, what you've got to ask yourself, if you're all hemmed in this weekend and you're feeling incredibly challenged and troubled by what's around you, I want you to consider the sovereign God who still at work within you. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. Now take that word moved. Draw a circle around it. It means literally to shake. Draw it back to right in the heart of verse 2. We're in the midst of those those. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved. Here you find that even though God is sovereign and powerful enough to move the mountains of this world, here in verse 5, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. And now we think historically and we think contemporarily, so to speak, as we ponder the significance that Jerusalem is still thriving. 1948, the Israelites regained statehood. We ponder the significance of all that is taking place in the Middle East today. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved, even as ISIS is making its way northward across the Syrian landscape. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. And now you begin to ponder, and how am I moved? What sort of transience is happening around me? Do I have that immovable aspect of God's presence operating within me? As they sing, they go on to ponder this. God will help her, speaking of Jerusalem, when morning dawns, and that is the very same wording which is used in Exodus chapter 14, verse 27, to describe the scene in the morning hours of the Israelites being able to be delivered from the hands of the Egyptians. And what God is doing poetically, musically at this point is he's drawing them to the past 
and they're considering how the battles of the past were overseen by God, and therefore the issues of the present that we are facing are overseen by God, and God can take something bad and create something good because he's the same God who took something that was nothing and made something out of it. You see. That's your God. So you're looking at this, this point. And when you see God will help her when morning dawns, you realize that with that word help, there's the relationship between God's presence and God's grace in your life. But now it seems to project ahead to the end times, doesn't it? Because God stands outside of time. He sees the past, the present, and the future all in the present tense. We need to have a larger lens to be able to take in all that God is doing. And so now, just as you saw the relationship between God's grace and his presence in verses 4 and 5, you see now the relationship between God's justice and his presence in verses 6 and 7. The nation's rage. The kingdom's totter. But now utilizing creational teaching and and lessons from the Genesis account, he utters his voice. The earth melts. And now you've connected Genesis with Revelation. He utters his voice, imagery of the Genesis creation account. The earth melts, imagery of the last days account, so to speak. And what holds all this together? Your faithful God. Because in verse 7, the Lord of hosts is with us. There's his presence again. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The word fortress there is a stronghold, a high tower. And this is the very verse whereby Martin Luther penned his musical composition, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. You look at that, and you begin to ponder the significance of that, and then you consider the fact that Jerusalem is alive and well. Is that Jerusalem, Jamie asked excitedly, as Rabbi Axtine was guiding him through the city limits? What you see, I said hesitatingly, is one of the new suburbs created after the 1967 war in an area that used to belong to Jordan. The entire area, which incidentally was totally barren beforehand, is what the American and European press often refer to as settlements in the occupied territories, quote-unquote. What's that, Jamie asked? That's downtown Jerusalem, I replied. My mind goes back to 1948. But he transports me forward. Do you mean to tell me that before 1967, Jordan was so close to Jerusalem, it looks like no more than 10 minutes by car from there to downtown Jerusalem? The driver speaks up. I can tell you exactly, said our driver, a former tank commander with the Israeli army. That suburb is 8 minutes by tank and about 10 seconds by plane from the heart of Jerusalem. And I shudder as I remind myself of how vulnerable Israel was before the city was reunited in 1967. And Jamie begins to ponder the God of the universe that keeps Jerusalem settled 
to this very moment. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And when you see God of Jacob, you realize at this point that has to do with the promises that God had delivered to Jacob, which were true then and true now as well, as God preserves his people for his glory. A mighty fortress is our God. Now, the same principle is at work in the state of Israel today. The Israel Armored Corps swear their oath of allegiance, interestingly enough, on top of an old fortress known as Masada. Masada was a fortress west of the Dead Sea, but in A.D. 72 and 73, some 960 Jews held out against the Roman army, and after seven months of siege, the Romans broke through the fortress, only to find that those inside had taken their lives. Today, Masada stands as a symbol of courage, and the Israeli troops to this very day, 2015, stand on its summit to swear their oath of allegiance, quote, Masada shall not fall again, unquote. But you have got a sovereign God who is your fortress, and your God will never fall. And so now you look at that, and you hit the Selah again, because at the end of verse 7, there's a pause, a rest, in the measure of that musical composition. And now you're thinking about the nature of God and asking yourself, has that been my starting point when I'm all hemmed in? And you're pondering the soldier who is surrounded by artillery as you begin to pray for him. The nature of God. You move to the presence of God, which leads us thirdly, that in troubling times we reflect upon the works of God. And there are two significant challenges now in this last stanza. The first flows out of verse 8. Come, he's saying. You can almost see the hand motion. Behold the works of the Lord. The word behold is not a casual glance. The word behold is an intense inspection. It was used militarily to describe the inspection of of the armed forces. Behold the works of the Lord, his capacity at this point. How he has brought the desolations of the earth, and now it projects still ahead. Past, present, future, all in the present tense, poetically, prophetically. Notice the three he's. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth, number one. He breaks the bow, shatters the spear, number two. He burns the chariots with fire, number three. And after you have embraced the first challenge, come, behold the works of the Lord. Then, perhaps with a plaque that's on a wall in your house, you ponder verse 10 and the second challenge. Be still. Be still. And know that I am God. The phrase be still carries with it the idea of cease striving and be hands off. Now typically, when we find ourselves overwhelmed, we become intensely hands on. But what he's saying at this point is that there are going to be times where you are put in situations beyond the possibilities of human achievement. 
At that point then, be still and know that I am God. And what has he done for you at this point? He's looped back to verse 1. You began with God. Now you end with God. Be still and know that I am God. And projecting poetically and yet prophetically into the future, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And then repeating the phrase of verse 7, The Lord of hosts is with us, they sing to one another. The God of Jacob, that God of promise, is our fortress. And Martin Luther would pen an amen to that. You hit the pause button. It's the third Selah. And now you've got three Selahs. You've got three stanzas. You've got three aspects of who God is. The nature of God, the presence of God, the works of God. You pull all that together. And now on this Memorial Day weekend, as you look back upon those who laid down their lives for your national freedom, you can see the bridge being built toward the one who laid down his life for your eternal freedom, your Jesus Christ. Let's stand together. Father, it is astounding to us how you work poetically and prophetically simultaneously in these verses. How you take the issues of history of the past, the issues of the end times of the future, And you connect these dots and then tell us that in this very time period in which we live, our God is a refuge. Our God is strength. Our God is very present help. When we're all hemmed in, when we're in trouble, therefore, we will not fear. If there's anybody from this congregation right now In the military, may he claim these verses. May she claim these verses. May we find ways to communicate this to them. And for those in these services today, Father, may we take these verses, relate them to our own personal experience, and see this ever-present God at work in our lives. For your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.